The following is a sermon from Pastor Timothy Borman and Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. Well, I knew this day was coming, that if we were going to decide together to, to work through Genesis 12 to 25, I knew the day would come. I knew it when we would get to the, to, to the prologue, really, of the account of God's destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. I knew it would come, and, and today it's here. We're, gonna, we're in Genesis chapter 18, and we're going to pick it up. We're on page 10 of your bulletins. If you're at home listening in on Zoom, open up your Bibles to Genesis 18. And if you remember last week, it was a very uh, laughable scene in, in a good sense. And the, the total, the tenor, the, the mood is going to change unshakably so in, in the space of zero verses at all. So let's pick it up and read it from verse 16 there. When the men got up to leave, they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham walked along the road with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin so grievous, that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of the earth do right? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And Abraham spoke up again. How that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes. What if the number of the righteous is less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45 people there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him, what if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. And he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now, that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if, what if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. 
When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. This is God's word. This, this story doesn't need much of an introduction. It's come down to us, even in secular culture. In fact, this may be one of the few times when a city's name has been turned into a verb and into a noun. And I won't say them out loud. But in the Bible, too, it's, it's a biblical motif that starts from the very beginning of Genesis and goes all the way to Revelation. Sodom becomes the proverbial town, the proverbial city of sin, and an example of God's wrath that comes down against it. I, I, I'm going to dispense with what I normally do. No, normally... I, I, I tell you what the topic's going to be at the beginning of this sermon, then I try to convince you to listen in, but I'm going to throw all of that aside and just for a second, because you already know the theme. God will come in judgment. But I want to look at that theme with a special twist, that even in judgment, God is merciful. And I want to show you that in, in a special way today, we're going to look at each of the characters in this narrative, one at a time, and we're going to characterize them with, with one specific behavior, one specific thing that they do. We're going to look at, first of all, a, we're going to first of all look at the Sodomites, then we're going to look at Abraham, and then finally we're going to look at God. And in all of that, what I hope to show you is that even in judgment, even in judgment, God is merciful. So let's start with the Sodomites. The Sodomites, without looking at chapter 19, we're going to do that later. The Sodomites here are characterized by a sound. <laughs> I know that sounds strange, but they really are characterized by the sound that reaches heaven itself. So what how the NIV puts it. The outcry, that the NIV calls it this, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah. The outcry. Famed Old Testament scholar at UC Berkeley, his name is Robert Alter, translated it this way. The shrieks, the shrieks of the oppressed. So this is what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. People are victimizing each other. They are abusing each other. They are traumatizing each other. And when that happens, a shriek went up to God. An outcry. I, I looked this up. There are some sounds that are a nuisance, like, like a, a car alarm going off in the middle of the night. Or in, in New York City, our neighbors always seem to want to throw a party at like 3 a.m. During, during the summer, and we're listening to marimba or salsa or something like that. It's a nuisance. But some sounds trouble us, and they cause us to viscerally react. You know what one of the most annoying, the most shrieking sounds is? 
We had it happen last week. Microphone feedback. It, it'll, it'll make, you cannot take that sound for very long. I was trying to think about what this outcry, this, this shriek of the oppressed must have sounded like God, to God up in heaven. It must have been like when you hear your neighbor shriek in the middle of the night, like his wife is shrieking and it gets you up and you know you have to do something about it. And then take that times like a thousand, take that times like 10,000. And you know then that God would have to come down and he does. That's how Sodom's characterized, like this, this shriek that goes all the way up to heaven. It actually, the, did you know this? The theologians actually came up with a whole new category of sin based on the Sodomites. You know what it's called? Sins that shriek. That's what they call it. It used to be in confirmation class that the kids would have to, to memorize this phrase about the sins that shriek. They said, to heaven cries the blood, the voice of the blood, which would be the martyrs, and of the sodomites, the voice of the oppressed, and the withheld wages of the laborers. Peccata clamancia, sins that shriek. Now, we could say a lot of things about this, like, I should, and maybe I will for just a second, warn you that if you are committing one of these sins, they shriek. And you need to know that God will come down in judgment. He really will. But I promised you that we'd focus on this, that even in judgment, God is merciful. And I want to show you how merciful God is by coming as paradoxical it sounds in judgment, what if God heard the shriek and did nothing? Would God really be loving them? If you just let it continue on and on and on? What if, what if, what if, and, and I don't mean to go to extremes, but this is a very extreme situation. Read Genesis chapter 19. And you'll see that what's happening in Sodom is absolutely extreme. What if, what if a man's walking down the street with his little kid and somebody assaults him and kills him and then God said, oh, it's okay. No big deal. I hear people, maybe you have too, they detest a God who judges. And they'll say things like this, God is love. And I agree, God is love. But isn't it also true that God loves well when he brings justice to the victimized and the traumatized and the abused? Even in judgment, God is merciful. He's bringing exactly what the traumatized and the abused and the oppressed needs. He hears the shrieks of the oppressed. That's the first thing that I want you to see. I want you to see that God is loving well those who are shrieking. Second thing I want to show you is Abraham here. Abraham 
is characterized here by intercession. You might say that's a that's a technical word for prayer or his mediatorial work. Like it, it, it's actually incredible what he does. He goes to God. He says, God, hold on for a second. You can't do this. See, Abraham wasn't quite sure if God was being just by by bringing raining down burning sulfur. So he says to God, it, it's, it's like this haggling, negotiating scene. It looks like it's happening in a marketplace, but the stakes are incredibly high. He says, God, what about if there's only 50? God says, okay, if there's 50, I won't do it. 50 righteous people. And then they go down to 45, and then they're 40. And then he's jumping by tens all the way down to 10. And then finally, Abraham just gives up on it, and he goes home. Seemingly content. I think he was content. Goes home in peace thinking, I think Sodom and Gomorrah are good to go. But then Abraham wakes up the next morning and the city has gone down. We'll look at that later. But I want to ask you this question. What was the purpose of the prayer then? Was Abraham really going to change God? No. Was he really going to change the outcome? No. So what was the purpose of the prayer? The purpose of it, do you see it? The purpose of the prayer wasn't to change God or to change the outcome. That was already going to happen. There wasn't even 10. The purpose of the prayer was to help Abraham accept it. Accept what God was about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah. See, Abraham now, after praying this prayer and, and trusting that God would not destroy it for the sake of ten, when he wakes up the next morning and he sees the city leveled, the Bible says it's like a furnace that's going up to heaven. When he sees all that, he could say, God, there weren't even ten. And this was as just as can be. And that's merciful, isn't it? That God allowed Abraham to pray so audaciously so that he could be changed. Now, we, we could talk a lot, and I think a lot of people do. They talk a lot about how this teaches us to be audacious in prayer. This is very bold, by the way. It's, one commentator said, like, Abraham is beating down God. Like, he's not talking super nicely to God. He says, you, you wouldn't be unfair, would you, God? This is, this is very audacious, but I think, I think we can learn actually something even deeper. What is the purpose of prayer? Sometimes, sometimes prayer changes the outcome. Sometimes it doesn't, though, does it? So what can be one of the purposes of prayer? To change the prayer. You see that? This happened to Jesus. This happened to Jesus. Jesus, uh, in, in a time when God was going to bring judgment down on him for us, he says, God, Father, is there another way? Because there is. Let's find it. 
but not my will, but your will be done three times. And what was the purpose of that prayer? Not to change the outcome, but to change and bring Jesus more and more in line with the Father's will. Sometimes prayer needs to work that way in our lives, where we pray and we pray and we pray and we find out God's just going to say no. Doesn't change the outcome, but it changes it changes you because he heard you and he listened to you and he's okay to you, but you need to come along with me too. That's merciful. You see that here? Even in judgment, God is merciful. There's one more thing I want you to see. And we, we've looked at two characters now. We've seen how God is merciful to those, the Sodomites and, and the Gomorrahites. Is that how you say it? Um, uh, he's merciful to those that, he's, that they are oppressing. He's also merciful to Abraham. He's going to bring him along. This is really a prologue that's preparing him for what is coming in the next chapter. And then he's also merciful. I want you to see this to us. Because look at who God is in this story. How, how, would we, how would we characterize God? And this is how I would characterize the Lord in this section. Walter Brueggemann said it this way. God is actively seeking a way out of death for us all trying to find a way out. He does that for the sodomites. Like he's going to go down and make sure that what he hears is really happening. He he's going to go down there and inspect it. He is he is gracious. He's going to give them one more chance. He's gracious with Abraham. He's going to let let Abraham pound on his chest and say, God, I don't think it's just to bring down justice. God, I don't think you should punish the wicked in this way. He's patient. He's so gracious as if he's looking for a way out. And in this case, he can't find it. So he brings it down. He's always balancing, see, his mercy and his justice. There's always mercy in his justice. I'm trying to show you that, and especially, especially when it comes to us. Truth be told, can we just be honest for a second? All of us here are sinners. Like, I could show it to you in the Bible, but I could show it to you in your behavior. And I would be willing to bet that someone has gone home and prayed to God. Why did she or he do that to me? A sin that shrieks. You know, the reason why I picked that sermon hymn today is because there's a verse in there that says, Abel's blood for vengeance cries, shrieks. Cain killed Abel. It's like blood has, has a voice. God, bring down justice. That's what it says. God, do what is right. And if he listened to that voice, mm, 
as they say in Spanish, fritos, right? But then the rest of the hymn verse goes down like this. Abel's blood for vengeance cries, but the blood of Jesus for our pardon cries. It's a louder voice. The writer of the Hebrews might have said it even better. The writer of the Hebrews calls Jesus, he gives him this name, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So blood has a voice. Jesus' blood has a voice. It says, Father, forgive them. Jesus' blood has a voice that says, says, Father, credit my righteousness to them. Jesus' blood has a voice. It says, God, they deserve your wrath, but put it on me. See, which means that most fully in the cross of Jesus do we see that God is just. Because all of his wrath did come down for all the wickedness that we've committed. But at the same time, there is grace for us. We're forgiven. Jesus' blood cries out for you. And so the theologians actually have, they actually have another category of sin that's, that, that is sins that cry out to heaven that are now muted. <laughs> it's as if the blood of Jesus has, has, has pushed the mute button on our sins. We have a great mediator and friend in Jesus, and we are righteous by faith. I told you I wanted to keep it simple to you, for you today. Three characters. We looked at the three characters. We looked at the sodomites, and we saw that God is merciful even for those who cry out and shriek to heaven. We also saw that God is merciful to Abraham. He brings Abraham along, and we saw that sometimes prayer is meant to change us. And then finally, we saw the very character of God in this story, that, that at the cross of Jesus, really, this is really prefigures the cross of Jesus, that even in his judgment, in his greatest wrath, he's merciful. <laughs>